0: As Linda comes to read the scripture, these are very, very familiar words to us. And yet here it is on that Sunday, that Advent Sunday, second Sunday, the day of love. And I think for many of us, this becomes maybe a self-evaluative tool for us. So as you hear these words, which again, sometimes familiarity makes it so much that we don't necessarily take it in. Let's see where we stand. Not only as individuals but as a church when we compare our lives to this scripture.
1: This is first first Corinthians verse thirteen. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or or arrogant or rude. It does not exist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but for prophecies they will come to an end, as for tongues they will cease As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, But then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these is love. Holy wisdom, holy word.
0: So I was reminded as I was preparing the message for this morning, not just 1 Corinthians 13, which you'll hear about in just a second, but um, I remember a trip to Google with John Selwachter. And um, I remember coming in, and I, I talked about this two or three years ago, John, I don't remember when it was, but two or three or maybe four years ago. And as we walked through Google, it was amazing, those offices in Kirkland, that you could get espresso any time of day. Or night, you could get any candy you wanted. John, I never asked you what your favorite was. I don't think, but um, Skittles came to mind. I don't know why, but um, you could eat anything you wanted. And 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 if you got tired, guess what? There were nap places. I mean, we called the youth room that here at church, but <laughs> but it, it was amazing. And and realizing that it wasn't about just providing for Google employees, it was Google just making sure that all of those who worked there had everything they needed for the 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 hours that they were hoping you'd be in the office. And that is the expectation of so many of the companies that surround us. It is incredible, the pressure, the pressure that it applies, and even in the midst of all the candy you could possibly want, or all the mochas or espresso that you can take in, the pressures are enormous. And it reminded me, as I was thinking about that time, John, that we had lunch, of just the pressure that we're under. And I I thought back of this being the day of love and and thought about, uh, I remember meeting Lloyd Ogilvie Um, When I was in D.C., he was the pastor for the Senate, and an amazing man, short uh, but incredibly articulate. And he and Bruce Larson and others had such an influence uh, on my life, I thought today is the day to quote Lloyd Ogilvie, um, because this is so fitting for us, I think particularly in this time of year. So here's what Lloyd wrote in his book, Enjoying God. He said, my formative years ingrained the quid pro quo into my attitude toward myself. Do, and you'll receive. Perform, and you'll be loved. When I got good grades, achieved, I was a success. I felt acceptance from my parents. My dad taught me to fish and hunt, he writes, and worked hard to provide for us, but I rarely, if ever, heard him say, Lloyd, I love you. He tried to show it in his actions, and sometimes I caught a twinkle of affirmation in his eyes, but I still felt empty. He said, when I became a Christian, I immediately became so involved in discipleship activities that I did not experience the profound love and healing grace I often talked about theoretically. He said, I'll never forget... The first time I really experienced that kind of healing grace, I was a postgraduate student at the University of Edinburgh. Because of financial pressures, I had to accordion my students into a shorter-than-usual time period as as I tried to help them along. And then carrying a double load of classes, well, I was demanding and I was exhausted by the constant feeling, see if this strikes home, of never measuring up. He said, no matter how good my grades, I always thought I could do better. Sadly, I was not living the very truths I was studying. Although I could have told you the Greek words for love or joy or grace, I was simply not experiencing them. And finally, he writes, it was my beloved professor, Dr. James Stewart, who was a slightly built dynamo of a saint, who saw directly into my soul. He looked me in the aisle, in the eye, smiled warmly, took my coat lapels in both his hands, drew me close where our faces were only inches apart, and said, dear boy, you are loved now, now, right now. Lloyd, being the intelligent guy that he was, got it. (laughs) He got it. And he said it shifted his whole feeling around the love of God and suddenly began to be able to look within to say, God really is there loving me no matter what, no matter where, no matter how much I achieve. God is there. I think about us. Think about living here in the east side of Seattle, the Bellevue, Issaquah, Kirkland. areas of, of this part of the world where the pressures are truly phenomenal. And wondering how often we get the chance to even experience that kind of depth of God's love. Even beyond that, friends, I wonder how often we are able to share that with anyone. Or how often we might have the courage to step up and recognize a need in someone and understand that they need to hear not only our story, but the story of a God who loves them. Who loves them no matter where they are, no matter what they're experiencing, no matter how they may feel about themselves, about the church, about anything. At our last common table meeting, our charge conference, I shared the story of Parker Knowles. It's the first time in my 20 now five years of pastoral experience that I have ever seen as hate-filled a Facebook post directed absolutely toward a church. Parker sent us And by us, I don't mean the greater church. I don't mean the United Methodist Church. I mean Aldersgate United Methodist Church. Parker sent a Facebook post that went to our Facebook page and went into this incredible, hate-filled rant about us because we would have paid for promoting ourselves on Facebook. He talked about the manipulative factors of a church He talked about the fact that what we really should do is burn down the building and take the proceeds of that and put it into something that can transform lives. He said that church should never pay anyone to do ministry because it was just a call of Christ that we just go and do it. The ironic thing was in the midst of that were a lot of expletives, and, and the language was overwhelming. So I spent some time looking at Parker's fa- Facebook page. And what I found was a loving family, a sister who was part of a church, an amazing array of life-changing experiences, including a trip that he had taken to Mexico to, to just really uh, experience poverty for the first time. I sent Parker a Facebook message and asked that we have coffee together. The other thing I found that he was a Seahawks fan, and I have no idea where he lives. But while we're sending this report to saying, you know, we need to kind of elevate our caution around this young man, and he was a young man, is a young man, might this be that opportunity to do what Jesus did? And... It's not easy to love those who would say this about this church. Now, the other thing I will share with you is I shared with him about what we do as a church. About the heart of this church as a place of service. About the overwhelming compassion that not only do we see within, but that we offer outside. And then invited him to meet for coffee. Anywhere where he would want to meet for coffee, hoping that he could, in fact, see something different in us. I'm not a saint, friends, but I do believe that those words of Jesus are potent and vital, especially in this time. I kept thinking about Officer Gutierrez in the midst of all of this. Here is this police officer in Tacoma who goes to a domestic violence call and very literally, as much as he can, moves the spouse or the partner behind him, not knowing that up on the stairway is a shooter and takes the bullets from this shooter to protect a family. We can't help but think about Officer Gutierrez and his family Can't help but think of the Lakewood Four how many years ago. Can't help but think of all the things that are going on in the world right now that just seem to be emerging around hate. And yet it was overwhelming to see the love and compassion coming from different parts of the community for this officer. But there are a couple other places where if you looked carefully, you could see also the love and compassion for those two children and that partner. But we also need to extend that, even prayer, to the shooter. And that's where it becomes really, really hard. It becomes really, really hard. And yet as we explore this scripture, as we hear again these words of love, we can't help, can't we, to doing some self-evaluation around some of this. So I will tell you, honestly, I decided to take it on. And I will write, I I will read to you what I came up with as I looked at what can happen even in the life of a pastor if we take this on and the struggles that are there for so many of us as we think about tough love. Tough love. Right before I get there, I want to remind you Dorothy and I spent five years in Sunnyside in the Yakima Valley most of those five years were working with gangs and a church that didn't have a vision and the violence that surrounded that community in a community of 13,543 churches, none of them dealing with the gang populations. Sunnyside United Methodist Church emerged as the central place where we dealt with the gang populations and saw miracle after miracle after miracle when love took the place of violence, if we but risk ourselves. And I mean it. Miracle after miracle after miracle, when love replaces violence. But again, coming back to this scripture. As I was preparing for this message, I kind of looked at this roadmap of love and said, Brad, And, uh, by the way, I noticed in the bulletin that my real name is (laughs) Bradman. Yes! (laughs) Brad. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, Brad, are you patient? (laughs) Ask my wife. Are you kind? Are you envious or boastful? Or at any time, rude? Do you simply seek your own Way, in spite of the needs or desires of others? Are you easily provoked into behaving badly? Does it sometimes make you feel good when someone who deserves to be punished gets their due? Do you see yourself as even a little bit better than some others? Do you really always rejoice in the truth? I mean, always. I wondered if my words are sometimes empty, even though I may mean well. I asked myself, are you filled with faith, with God? And yet, are there those that just make you mad and sometimes allow you, allow them to take over your emotions? I was driving to get my passport for the Israel trip the other day and went up to Monroe And I was up there, you know, on that beautiful highway and was just feeling the love and the beauty that surrounded me when all of a sudden there was a very short gap and no one coming up behind me and a truck pulls out, makes me slam on my brakes. I will tell you that I speak to inanimate objects. And I spoke to the truck and it was not a pleasant conversation. But then I looked up and guess what? There on the back of the truck is what? A fish. (laughs) So I prayed for them. Are there those around us, around me, that not only make me mad, but change the way I feel about life and sometimes allow to take over my emotions? Do you give a lot, but even keep back more than you know you should? I ask myself, do you offer yourself lovingly to others, even those with whom you disagree, even with whom you strongly disagree? Are you sometimes a bit childish? Not childlike, but childish. Do you know who you really are? Or might you walk away from Sunday service and become something, well, less Christ-centered? I did pretty well to at least most of those questions. But there are times where I just don't. And those are times where this kind of self-love gets challenged or even this God-love gets challenged. But here's the deal, friends. Even in the midst of those, we are in a time of Christmas. As the has read the Advent Readings this morning. Did you notice as we talked about the fact that we are surrounded by incredible beauty? And the beauty is, yes, in the mountains and in the water, but it's also right here in the midst of this place. The other miracle about the Christmas season is it appears to me as though hearts are more ready to hear good news. Hearts seem to be more open To hear the stories. I believe God desperately needs us to share our stories. And and that there are those around us right now. Who need to hear that we're not perfect. But we have a story that is transformational. Because of a God who loves and accepts us where we are. But we're so reticent to share that story. And I don't think it's a lack of courage. I think it's more a desire not to step on toes. And yet look around us. Whether it's at Google or Amazon or Microsoft or Boeing, whether it's at T-Mobile or anywhere else, whether it's in retirement or not, there is tremendous pressure and a tremendous need for hope. And even more than that, a tremendous need right now in this country and in the world for the kind of love that Jesus spoke of. A love of enemy. Prayers for those who persecute. And it's hard. It's hard but it is what we must be. So I'm going to ask you to take just a few moments, and very, very few moments, in the quietness of this place as we prepare for not only Jeff's renewal of baptism, but for communion, to prayerfully consider who it is around you that not only needs to hear your story, but who also needs to hear God's story in you. In you. Let's take just a moment. In the quietness of this place. And ask that prayer.